Hey, Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast. I am your host, Angie Machado. And with me, as always, is our Beaver Blitz beat writer, Carter Baines. Carter is in the middle of finals week at Oregon State. Carter, how's the week going? Stressful already. Um, One final down, two more to go. Um, It's going to be a long week, but after Thursday, we've got three weeks off and there's a chance to watch a little bit more football during the week, head down to some basketball games. So I'll be glad when it's over, that's for sure. Yes, finals week. It's one of those like super stressful weeks and then you get like three weeks off and it's awesome. We have um, a busy, busy show planned for you guys today. Um, Not only are we gonna talk a little bit about the Utah loss, we're gonna preview Stanford. I have a ton of damn questions um, lined up from the lodge that we're going to get to. Uh, Basketball, we have some uh, some basketball talk and then signing day is is a week from tomorrow. So we will um, talk a little bit about that. Although next week's pod will be the big preview for signing day, Um, but we will kind of talk a little recruiting as well but Carter let's just jump right in and start talking about the Utah loss um you and I had heard some rumbling rumors Thursday that Jermar and John McCartan weren't going to be able to go um contact trace so that is the first good piece of news is that they were contact traced not positive so that could mean they're they'd be back this this coming week for Stanford um when you heard that news when I called you and told you that news what did you think the Beavs' chances were with a new quarterback and no Jamar Jefferson? Yeah, the uh, the chances went out the window, in in my opinion. Um, with the breaking, breaking in a new quarterback is tough already, but when you don't have your workhorse running back, all-American candidate, um, that's going to make life a whole lot more difficult for the offense against the best run defense in the conference. So... Um, not only do you lose out on the yardage and, and touchdowns that Jamar can give you, but you also kind of like, I mean, it, make, it makes it tougher on the quarterback when you don't have that kind of balance and you don't have the, uh, the security blanket that comes yeah, with I was gonna say he's a safety 150 man. yards per game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then let's talk a little, I mean, let's talk about Chance Nolan. So I was the same way. When I heard that news, I was like, I thought the Beavs were going to get rocked, like totally rolled. Um, it looked like it at times that it was going to, they were going to get rolled. And then, you know, the defense would bend, don't break again. I, I wish the Beaver defense could figure out how to play like they do in the second half, play that four quarters. I mean, yeah, it, it was bend, don't break, but at the same time, I think Utah kind of, uh, helped them out a bit in the first quarter. It really, I mean, it honestly should have been 17 nothing before the Beavers got on the board, but Jake Bentley missed two wide-open receivers in the end zone. So Ben don't break for sure in that they did come away with forcing field goals at the end, but I think they did catch a couple breaks there as well. They they totally did. And then, well, but then the Beavers could have had scored um, on that pass to Tegan Quatoriano, mm-hmm. or as the guys on the... Keterino. Keterino, or <laughs> that broadcast was horrible. Anyway... I, I finally started laughing every time they said his name wrong, but I mean, he had a touchdown or should have been a touchdown right there. Um, and the Beaver offense I thought was helped a lot by some uh, Utah timely Utah, untimely Utah penalties. Um, but you're right. I mean, 
it, it felt like the game was never really that close. And then the next thing you know, it's 30 to 10. But then the fourth quarter comes around and, and then there's the beeves. They're, they're, they're throwing haymakers like we've seen them all season long. Did you think they were going to make a comeback? Yeah, you know, as as kind of tough of a first half as it was for the defense, you got to give them credit for the fourth quarter. I mean, they allowed no first downs. They held Utah, Utah to, I think, I think it ended up being 12 yards in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's good against any team. Mm -hmm. That's going to win you a lot of games if you play like that for more than just 15 minutes. And unfortunately, it was limited to that 15-minute stretch, but you saw what happened. I mean, offense was able to capitalize. And so I think if the defense comes out with that kind of effort, that level of determination and grit for at least three quarters, there's not a team in this conference that they can't beat. I was super surprised in the post-game press conference to hear Avery Roberts, who I thought had the best game I've seen him play, he was disappointed in his in his play. I, I saw him on, in on so many tackles, 21 total. Um, talk about your your thoughts on on Avery and his his performance. Yeah, so the 21 tackles were the most by any college football player this year. Um, it was also the third highest total, I believe, in school history. Um, uh, yeah, if he would so, have 22, it would have been a school record. Right, right. So, I mean, there's no way around it. It was just, it was an all-out dominant showing for Roberts. And to be honest, it, it didn't even really surprise me because that's what he's been doing all year. You know, he's been in that double-digit um, tackle total in pretty much every game. Something he's done throughout his first year and a half here in Corvallis. And I think Oregon State fans are really lucky to have him here. And I, I hope that they recognize how big of a playmaker he is because he kind of flew a little bit under the radar last year with Hamrick Rashid doing what he did. But this year it's, it's been the Avery Roberts show there in the linebacker room. Yeah. Especially when you consider the the struggles the Beavers have had up front at D tackle to have him and Omar both, you know, in the middle there, um, I, their job is harder than it probably needs to be, but um, definitely have shown up. Let's talk quarterback. Cause I think that's the, the big, elephant in the room um chance nolan he had kind of a, i would say an up and down day i mean he had some some decent things we saw um he had some sketchy things we saw um do you think what we saw from him I mean, how much better do you think he'll be this week getting some of those nerves out do you think it was more nerve based or do you think um he's questionable um you know it is kind of hard to predict that I do think that he will improve because he himself said that a lot of the uh, the overthrows and, and leading his receivers too much, a lot of that was just first game anxiety. He admitted it after the, after the game. And so that's obviously something that with time and after an improved second half, you know, I, I think that's something that'll get ironed out, um, especially as he, especially as he takes more first team reps in practice this week, you know, I mean, he had been taking some first team reps, first team reps all year but he really only had one week of being the guy so yeah. I think we're going to see timing with receivers is going to be a big thing this week I think that's going to improve dramatically um, he actually said it today when we talked to him on zoom that that's been something that he's really been working on is working with his receivers after practice as well um, to, to kind of hone in on that because I thought that was 
really the most glaring weakness because outside of that to be honest with you I didn't think he played that terribly yeah um yeah. his his mobility was eye-opening that's uh -huh. something that we haven't seen really ever at the quarterback position here save for maybe like a Seth Collins type but um yeah no I, I was impressed with kind of just like the raw skills that we saw the execution wasn't quite there but I think in time um, whether that's this year, next year, or sometime down the line, I think he's going to put it all together and really be a special athlete. He did seem to have a strong arm. I, I will say that. And like you said, the, to see the mobility, I, what I saw, I saw a lot of happy feet, which again, could be anxiety, right? He's not played. This is um, his last game he played was at Saddleback College. So what I saw in his film from Saddleback is a guy who was the best athlete on the field and he could make things happen um, with his legs. And then we saw him against Utah, maybe maybe he realizes that he is no longer the best athlete on the field or that he's going up against guys that are equally as good. Um, I saw him run backwards way too much. And I, I think back to Saddleback days, he was able to escape that and then make positive yards. Whereas Utah, he could he could miss the first guy, but the second guy was right there to do cleanup. But um, that should come. And, I, is, and I like the you know, mobility. And, and, and that's something I want to mention too is, like you said, I mean, he played that game like he played a saddleback game. You know, he's not out of his element at all. It just comes down to being comfortable with the guys that he's out there with and being comfortable with the speed of the Pac-12 game. I like that they're putting in, putting him in positions to, you know, play to his strengths. He's not going out and, and learning this new scheme that doesn't really, you know, tailor to his abilities because, I mean, everything that we saw from him against Utah was what we've seen from him on film. He just didn't execute it. And I think, like I said, that's going to come with time. But it is good to see that he is not trying to be somebody that he's not out there. I like his moxie, too. He has that gunslinger quality. And, and that throw to Colby, a little scary. Well, I, I, I might have <laughs> cringed a little, a little bit when that one went flying towards some red shirts. But... Um, it worked out okay, but I, I like the moxie and, and since, especially now we know that Tristan is going to be out for the rest of the season. I, I think it's, it's time. And um, I mean, we saw Tristan Jebbia grow up in front of our eyes a lot too. And, you know, I, fans were calling for, you know, to see something different early in, in the season from that. So um, I would have liked to seen a little Nick Moore. I think we should talk a little personnel because there's been lots of changes over the past, you know, couple weeks um, as far as, as personnel. So Nick Moore left the program. He, for all intents and purposes, I mean, he headed into fall camp as QE2 and um, was listed on the depth chart as a or with chance. And um, now he's left looking for, for more playing time. Dive in. Let's just talk about personnel and where you see the Beavs are right now and, and um, you know, maybe where they need, need some help. Yeah, it's actually really interesting because coming into the year, I think everybody was really excited about the depth at quarterback. You know, you've got Jebbia obviously at number one and then behind him, three guys who all have quite a bit of upside. Um, Nick Moore with that kind of balanced ability with his legs and his arm. And then obviously Chance Nolan coming in with the film and stats that he put up at, at Saddleback was um, a really impressive option. And then Ben Goldbranson, the true freshman was kind of making waves in spring camp. So I think there was a lot of excitement about the depth of the quarterback room. And now here you are with, with two guys and then Jackson Christ, a, a walk on, but yeah, I mean, after chance Nolan, it gets really scary because you've thrown a two, a true freshman out there with a walk on backup. So 
they got to do everything they can to keep Chance healthy. But um, I, I would be kind of interested to see Ben Goldbranson at some point this season. You know, hopefully it doesn't come at the expense of a, a blowout or anything like that. But um, I am interested to see what he can bring to the offense in a game setting. Um, but I also want Chance to get, you know, full game reps. I want him to get time to, to develop and get comfortable back there because who knows, you know, maybe he comes in, has a good spring camp, puts together a nice fall, and maybe he, he competes for that starting job next year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's, uh, like I said, it, it's, you can never have too many quarterbacks, but it's one of those positions that's hard too, because guys come in and, and only one guy plays and unless they get hurt or um, they are play really horribly, but usually coaches give quarterbacks a pretty decent long leash. So, you know, you, you need four, five guys on the roster and it's hard to keep guys around with the transfer portal and everything. Um, wish Nick well though, cause he was always great to talk to and um, you know, has a has a think a bright future ahead of him running back was a little scary on Saturday night because you know we like we mentioned there was no Jamar BJ looked strong until he got hurt and then we had Calvin which one of my favorite players to cover on the team I, I love covering Calvin He's such a, a great interview and seems like such a nice young man but then and then uh Teron Moore uh Teron Madison played uh, sparingly um have you heard any more on BJ or on BJ? Is he expected to play this this week? So BJ is questionable. He had that uh, shoulder injury that he sustained early in the game. Champ Flemings as well had another. He had a mm -hmm. shoulder injury as well. He's also questionable. So, um, yeah, as of now, it looks like probably Calvin Tyler is going to. I mean, it looks like he's probably the starter if Jermar can't go and if BJ um, ends up being out for the game, but. I mean, hopeful, hopeful that BJ comes back, you know, shoulder injuries are tough, especially for her running back. Um, and then obviously if, if Jamar is able to clear protocol, that would be nice. But um, I, I do think that Calvin has the potential to, to make some big plays. You know, he's, he's on this roster for a reason and this running back room is, is deep and he was in the mix to potentially be a starter back two years ago after his injury. So I do think that he has some potential and, the Stanford defense has been giving up 200 yards a game on the ground. So if ever there was an opportunity for him to make a splash, it would be this week. So um, I'm optimistic about the running back group. I know that it's a little thin right now, but there's some real athletes there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I saw a lot of fans um, upset by, you know, and, and worried about Calvin and what he was doing, but again, putting, put in context there that was against the number seven ranked run defense in the country so um i mean the youths are always tough but their run defense is is no joke so um and and i mean oregon state didn't have any success in the past game so they were the youths were able to key in a little bit yeah. on the run stack the box and with a defense as stout as the youths um that's going to be tough to beat for any running back yeah. let alone yeah. a third string guy so let's let's kind of just go over um kind of off the top of our heads here who we know is out this week um it looks like Kyrie Fisher is back um or should be back after being contact traced now twice this this season um Noose Kale Bounham was back he traveled with the team last last week did not play but I expect him to play David Morris I I was worried about David but I don't think he's gonna go but it sounds more like it might be hamstring again not the COVID protocol 
Yeah, all Coach Smith said was that he's not available. Um, okay. There is really no clarification there other than okay. he's, he's not healthy. Um, you know, whether that's injury, whether that's virus, I, I couldn't tell you. Okay. okay. Because, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot of transparency there for, for obvious reasons, yeah. you know, when yeah. it comes to virus and stuff like that. So we, we don't know what we don't David's know. status is other than he's not available. Okay. Um, who, I'm trying to think who else has been out. We, I mean, Jermar and John could be back. Yeah. Um, um, well, let's talk uh, Trey Lowe and Treshawn Harrison okay. getting their eligibility exactly. yeah. this week with fall they, term coming to an end here within the next couple of days. Those two guys will be ready to go. And Brian Lindgren today said, expect to see those guys because we're going to try to get them get them active and we want to get them going. So I'm really excited, especially to see Treshawn Harrison, because yeah. we know the wide receiver group could could get some help with with guys that could get open downfield a little bit more. He's taller than any taller than anybody else in the room and he has some speed so that's a combination I'm really excited to watch for and um, I, I mean I'm not going to say he's going to go out there and, and light the world on fire and join that starting group or anything but if they can get him the ball I really want to see what he brings to the table yeah I agree I mean I think Beaver fans have been so excited to see what he can do um, you know who else had a, a had a pretty a couple big key catches that we don't see a lot um, is uh, Tajon Lindsay a couple big time catches from him uh, this week. Um, and so, you know, a champ being questionable, it'll be interesting to see if we see more of him, um, you know, as the coaches maybe get some more trust in him defensively, let's, let's switch over to defense. Um, we already talked about Avery and, and kind of the middle linebackers. Um, what were your takeaways from the defense as a whole, um, on, on Saturday night? Well, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but, um, first half, I, I was not impressed to be honest. I thought it was way too easy. 10 play or uh, 10 yards here, 10 yards there, just first down after first down. And then I thought they got bailed out as well. Um, but then as they do, they, they flipped a switch in the second half. And I mean, Utah didn't have a whole lot of possessions. Obviously the, the punt return touchdown took a possession away. And then um, Oregon state actually possessed the ball pretty well um, in the second half, which, which gave the defense a little less opportunity to go out there Um which is good because time of possession hasn't been one of Oregon State's strengths. And so we see, I mean, you saw what happened when, when the defense doesn't have to go out there every two minutes, um, they make some things happen. And that, that showed in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And talk a little Pac-12 now um, before we, we talk this week. So it was kind of another wild week in the Pac-12. Uh, Oregon lost just to Cal second week in a row. I think that was probably the biggest game. Although, um, you know, they had Washington, Stanford. What did, did you watch any of the Pac-12 this week? I watched Washington, Stanford. I watched Cal, Oregon, and I saw bits and pieces of Colorado, Arizona. Any, any. Or Colorado, who did Colorado uh, Arizona. Play? Did yeah, it was Colorado, Arizona. Yeah, yeah I saw Because I saw Arizona was, gave up 407 yards on the ground. <laughs> So yeah, that to, seventh to game, a Colorado team that I don't think anybody expected to be 4-0 at this point no. in the season. Not at all. And seriously, 400, I mean, if sitting here right now, that's who I hope Oregon State gets to play the, in game seven is Arizona. Yeah, I mean, I, if, if they end up going with the, uh, the one versus one, two versus two thing, I think Oregon State's going to end up too high in the standings to play them. Um, but depending, I mean, maybe they try to make the Apple Cup happen and then that opens up another opportunity for a North, North team to play a South team. I, I don't know how it's going to shake out, but 
Uh, it would be nice to see Oregon State get Arizona because I think that they could, I think they could run. I mean, Jefferson might for run 500. for 500 yards. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, somehow I have this feeling if it's if it's inter or if we play a South, we're going to see Oregon State have to play ASU or UCLA. And most likely th that's probably where they'll end up. That's, you know, but I don't know. But we have Stanford to deal with first. What what do you expect this week to look like? You, do you expect Oregon State to kind of do what they've done and come out kind of slow in the first half and then tighten up? I mean, how do you how do you see this game progressing? Well, that's how it went last year. Um, for anybody that doesn't remember what happened last year, it looked like it was going to be just an absolute blowout at halftime. And then Oregon State came back and they made it a tight game and unfortunately came up just short. Um, unfortunately, that's been kind of the trend this year once again. And hopefully, I mean, I know the coaches want to come out and play four quarters. I'm, I'm sure the players do too. Um, Stanford has been pretty inconsistent this year. Their first two games, they did not look very good. Uh, that one over Cal was kind of ugly, but give them credit, blocked extra point, came away with a win there. And then last week, I mean, that was the best game they've played all year, especially the first half to, to show up and be that dominant against a pretty good Washington defense was really impressive to me. Yeah. So what I am concerned about is Stanford's front, their offensive front and their running backs against this Oregon State defensive line that has had I mean, again, just a really poor year. Um, I think Stanford's going to have a lot of opportunities to move the ball on the ground, and that worries me. Mm -hmm. But I do think that Stanford is inconsistent enough and has enough holes on both sides of the ball for Oregon State to take advantage and at least keep it close, if not win, um, even if they aren't at full strength. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I haven't really sat down to think about what my, my prediction is going to be for Friday, so I need to do that. But I, I do think this is a team Oregon State can compete with and, and win. Um, it's going to be interesting, too, because this game was supposed to be down in Palo Alto, but with Santa Clara County. Um, and then, yeah, so there's another whole dynamic here. Stanford has been on the road. They went up to Washington and up in Seattle. I mean, I saw them doing a walk. I saw pictures of a walkthrough in a park that they downtown were downtown Bellingham. <laughs> yeah, just hanging out outside probably the, the Hyatt or whatever down there. And now they're. I thought they were in Corvallis. I don't know where they're staying. They are, Corvallis. Yeah. And they uh, are in Corvallis and they're practicing. Um, they're practicing on campus. They're okay. splitting time with Oregon State. The Beavers are going in the morning and then Stanford's going in the afternoon. Awesome. Um, okay, so so they cool. have been in Corvallis since I believe Sunday. Are they at the Hilton? Do you know? I don't know where in Corvallis okay. they're staying. But um, I mean, that's it's it's amazing to see everybody kind of coming together and um, making things happen and, and change and um, I guess the word of 2020 has been pivot, but um, it's it, it's it's good sportsmanship and things to to see this happening. I saw UNLV and uh, New Mexico had opened up their um, campuses for San Jose State to come and and train. So I, the uh, Spartans are in Vegas right now, and um, everybody just kind of trying to help each other out and and get through this. Um, so Stanford has a different dynamic. This was supposed to be a home game. Now they've been on the road for. Um, you know, it's going to be upwards of two weeks by the time all said and done. And I don't know if they're going to go home after this or if they stay on the road, because I think the rules are if you're back in Santa Clara County, you have to quarantine for 14 days coming back in. Yep. So I could see them actually staying outside of Santa Clara County. 
Right. And there is the element too, that nobody knows who they're going to be playing in week seven. So exactly. I mean, I would, I would guess that the PAC 12 is probably going to try to give them a road game just because of the limitations that come with being in Santa Clara County. Um, but the question is where, where do you stay? You yeah. know, cause yeah. you can't stand, you can't stay in Santa Clara cause you can't leave right yeah. away. So interesting to see what happens there. Well, and yeah, they wouldn't be able to play in Santa Clara and yeah, they'd have to be quarantined. So they couldn't even go out and practice. It's, mm-hmm. um, so it'll be interesting to see where they, they end up um, and where they can. Um, but it's, it's great to see the games being played and, and not just being canceled and, and just giving up on the whole system because, but I didn't think about it. I mean, can you imagine being, a, I mean, they're young, they're kids, they, but living out of a hotel for two weeks, that gets, that gets a little old, yeah. you know, you're not in your own bed and, yeah, I guess the benefit there is that they're, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're on the semester system and they're done done with their fall term, I think. Yeah. Um, I think I had heard that on the broadcast of their game at, at UW, which helps at least, you know, that that's one less thing they have to worry about. But I can't imagine I doing school it's, it's one thing. It's one thing to play back-to-back road games, but normally you're not traveling the whole time. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, you know, maybe maybe that takes a toll and maybe they're, they come out a little bit tired this week. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's really, I mean, it's unprecedented, which I guess is another one of those. Another, yep. words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's, I mean, that's what I feel like this whole season too, just being media. I, I feel like usually we have a better grasp, I guess, of what to expect from, because we've seen practice. We, we talked to the beat writers from, from the other schools that have been to practice and everything is so, controlled right now we get bits and we see what we see on saturday games but everything's so controlled and so um it's yeah it's it's very sterile what we're getting so we're all kind of just in the same same boat as everybody else in the fact that your guess is as good as ours on who's going to be available i mean like like this last week we find out a couple days before that the star running back is not available um but that's every team i I think I said to you, it felt like a grab bag. It feels like every week is a grab bag. And you're kind of like, you reach into that bag. It's like, who's going to be contact trace this week? Starter or walk on starter. You know, you're kind of like no whammies, but um, just everybody's doing the best they can. Let's talk a little basketball because I know that's something that the, the beef started off hot and now two losses in a row. Carter, what have you seen? I mean, I know we talked last week about how athletic this group looked. What have you seen then the past two weeks? Have you changed your your uh, outlook? No, I mean the athleticism is obviously still there. That's something that that you can't coach, and that's you know that's going to be here all year, and that's a good thing because that's something that you can work off of when you can't shoot, when you're turning the ball over, like <laughs> they have been in the last couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> that sounds I mean, great, it's, Carter. It's, it's one thing to score 114 points on an NAIA school, but then when you come back and play um, a Pac-12 team in Wazoo, and then you get Wyoming, who is, by the looks of it, a very athletic and pretty solid team in the Mountain West. Um, A lot of the things that worked for you in that that exhibition type game are not going to work against those bigger schools. And I think Oregon State found that out. Um, I think Beaver fans were a little bit disappointed with the performance. I certainly was disappointed because after what I saw in the first two games, I was, I was pretty optimistic. Uh, I just you were, think that you were a lot like of on the, the things... train, Carter. 
<laughs> I think a lot of the things that have plagued them in the past came back. Um, you know, that's, that's an inability to stop point guards on the defensive side. That's an inability to get consistent scoring on the other end. It's turnovers. You know, these are things that show up year in and year out. And I think they, they came back in the last couple of games and I'll give them the benefit of the doubt with a new roster. Maybe they can figure it out and stuff and, and kind of right the ship here before conference play opens up again. So, okay. Do you think this is a coaching issue? This is like what we keep talking about in the lodge. Is this a coaching issue? Is this a, a scheme issue? What do you, what do you uh, think this is? Uh, I'm going to err on the side of not being overly critical of Wayne Tinkle here, but I think, you know, it, it's something every year that I see and it's just offensive scheme that doesn't necessarily put players in position to score on a consistent basis. Um, with the athletes that they have this year, they should be able to get easy buckets at the rim. You know, they should be able to to move the ball and find open guys left and right with with people who can space the floor. And I mean, they have gotten some good looks and, you know, they haven't fallen. I look at like Jared Lucas, who's kind of struggled from, from deep. You know that he's going to come around eventually. But at the end of the day, under Wayne Tinkle, Oregon State has really struggled on offense. And at some point that does come back to the coaching because I think the pieces are there this year. And if they can't put it together by the end of the year, then I think that says a lot about the scheme. And um, I don't know necessarily culture, but maybe, maybe culture yeah. too. And we, and we saw this week, uh, Alfred Hollins is, has left the program. So, um, it, I mean, it's just interesting. And it, we're in a, in a, realm now that people are leaving coming and going kind of on both football and basketball it's not like a rarity but I mean do you go I mean do you do you think Tinkle should maybe go toward this whole transfer thing kind of uh, Dana Altman like or uh, do you like how he's been building the roster yeah no I mean I think this year you're seeing the benefits of it um, yeah. going the Juco route and going the route of, of guys who are already at the D1 level I mean, these guys are in the starting lineup this year they're the first guys off the bench too um, that's the reality of college basketball nowadays. And I think a successful program has to use that to their advantage or they're going to get left behind. Um, so it was good to see Tinkle kind of bolster the roster, fill those weaknesses, fill those holes with guys who have already proven that they can play at a high level. Um, and that's exactly what they got from Warith Alatiche. I mean, we're seeing it a little bit with Tariq Silver. I still think that he's going to come along and be a lot better than he has been in his limited action. Um, Maurice Kalu has hit some big shots, mm -hmm. you know, every single one of these newcomers, um, from the, uh, from the transfer ranks has made an impact. Yeah. And, and like we've said, they are, they look more athletic. So at least when they take the court, they look like a Pac-12 basketball team. Yeah. Um, okay. We're going to transition again now. Um, recruiting. I know this is more my area, but I know you follow it, um, with the Beavs. And signing day is next Wednesday, the 16th. So um, just mark your calendars now, because now that we have this early signing period for football, um, December has become the main signing day instead of that first February um, or the first Wednesday in February that used to be the big Christmas for college football fans. So um, it's gonna be like, I know I've said this time and time again, it's gonna be a small class. Um, right now, eight commitments from the 2021 class plus of a um, 2018 signee 
Samisi Saluni is, is expected to sign after his mission. Um, so you're like nine players. And then um, my guess, so um, just kind of looking at what's, what we've seen and the Beavers need for defensive tackles, I think they hold a spot or two open because um, I don't know if you've been following the transfer portal and you can follow 24-7 sports transfer portal um, as they pop on Twitter. They pop these guys in as soon as they come in, but there's like guys jumping in the transfer portal left and right. So um, I think Oregon State needs to keep their eye open for a, a D tackle or two to come in for immediate help. So I, I see Oregon State, Coach Smith has already said time and time again that he wants to always have like at least one scholarship in his back pocket that he can use should somebody enter that portal that would be a, a difference maker. Um, so that's like kind of what I expect. Like Harrison but, or, or one of those guys that they've landed in the last couple of years. Exactly. Charles exactly. Moore, who unfortunately never, never ended up making an impact here. But I mean, these are like big time guys at Oregon State's landing. And that's one of the benefits of holding an open spot. And if they can find somebody on the defensive line to come in and fill the, that gap right away, I think that'd be huge. Yeah, I mean, so Carter, look at what they've done already with the transfer portal. Tristan Jebbia, he was a, a four-star prep. Tyjon Lindsay, mm-hmm. a four-star prep. Avery Roberts was a four-star out of high school. Um, Kyrie Fisher was was one of the transfer guys. Um, Caleb Lightborn. Um, I mean, just I you kind of go, go through on the list. And on. I mean, yeah, it's I easy mean, to forget them with with how many there are. Get Trayshawn was one. I mean, yeah. seriously. So yes, Trey Low as well. Trey Low. He's, he's a walk-on, so he doesn't even take a spot for that one. So, um, no, it's super, um, I think, I think as you're, if you're a Beaver fan, it's easy to look at this list and kind of be underwhelmed because it, right now at 24-7 rankings, they rank 12th in the Pac-12 and 104th nationally. Nothing to get super excited about, but that's only counting eight guys. Um, when you look at these eight guys, um, led by Demir Collins. And I don't know if you've seen Demir Collins' film. He's Portland Jefferson. He's electric. I, yeah. I Coach Petrie, what he's done recruiting and coaching is nothing short of amazing right now. So Demir is huge. Um, and the number two ranked would be Easton Mascarenas, an inside linebacker at a Mission Viejo. And again, if you watch his film, he just, he's a football player. And um, I've been reaching out to the high school coaches to get ready for signing day and beyond. And Easton's coach just talks about him being a leader um, and just basically leader on offense and defense. He's the one organizing the workouts and he's the one always hundred percent bringing it every day. So um, he's also a Killy Arnold's um, brother. So um, it's always nice to have those family ties. Have you seen much of Sam Vidlack quarterback? I honestly haven't seen a whole lot of his tape, but from the, the little bit that I have seen, I I mean, his his potential is through the roof. Okay. You want to talk about a guy with some swagger? This guy has swagger. Yeah. And if, if there's any position on the football field that you want your player to have swagger, it's quarterback. I, I just see this guy being a winner. He wants to win. Mm-hmm. Um, Gosh, I go down the list. I, like I said, I, I know it's kind of an under people, fans, a casual fan might say it's super underwhelming, but then the next one down the list, you look is Jimmy Valson out of Bowie, Arlington, Bowie, Texas, six, three wide receiver. We've been talking, we need a taller wide receiver and this is your guy. Um, and Jay- with the way that Zariah Beeson has stepped up as a true freshman, I mean, they're going to go out and get these guys who can be immediate impact kind of players and 
um, six three is going to get you on the field. I, I can guarantee you that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I love, and we've talked about it before. I've talked about it years past. I love getting guys from Texas and Florida because especially Texas, because their football is at a whole different level than, than most of the country. So I, I feel that these guys from Texas, a lot of times are a little more seasoned um, than a guy from somewhere else. California guys might totally disagree with me, but it's a different level in Texas. So uh, like you said, I mean, Zariah came in with the football IQ ready to come in and, and play immediately, yeah. um, which is yeah. rare, especially at wide receiver. And the um, strength JT and, and Byrne, speed too. And speed, yeah. I mean, just um, just the ability, the football IQ, the ability to pick things up. And then, like I said, 6'3". We've, we've bemoaned this for a year now that Oregon State needs some taller wide receivers. Um, JT Byrne comes in as a 6'6 tight end. And I think, you know, looking at what Coach Lindgren, Coach Smith, what they're doing, Coach Wozniak with the um, the tight ends has been, I mean, gosh, you look at Tegan, you look at um, Luke Musgrave, and then you look at Tommy Spencer, Jake Overman, and now JT Byrne, building quite a, a room there with the tight ends. Which is honestly, it's pretty, it's pretty cool because when Jonathan Smith got here, the, the tight end room was honestly one of the weaker positions. It was a little depleted. Um, and so th their ability to turn it around and make it one of the deepest and most talented position groups on the roster, that's pretty impressive. And, and they're continuing it with another big pickup here. Yeah, I mean, I loved last year's tight end group. And now you bring in JT. And again, another player, we've, we've reached out and talked to his head coach down in Carmel. Um, just an outstanding person too. And I, I think that's something Beaver fans are going to be going to be excited to read about. Um, so not only will we have our Q and A's that we've done for, well, since I took over the site, this will be gosh, 2006, this will be like 14 years of, well, probably 13 years because I didn't do it that I came in after signing day in 2006, but um, I know they're fun. They're just kind of a fun to get to know these guys, but talking to the head varsity coaches and their high school team, it's, it takes a different level, right? So they, they're telling us about them off the field and, and what kind of young men they're getting, Oregon State's getting and um, excited about these guys. Um, Omarian Fa'amo out of Salt Lake City, defensive end. Again, just need to, to make that. He's, he's a defensive end. So 6'2", 255, good size already. Plays for a, a solid Salt Lake West team. So um, Arnez Madison, this is a guy I don't know a ton about. He's been pretty quiet um, from Manual Arts in LA. He's a DB. So I'm excited to see more of him. And then in-state guy, you know, Oregon State's made a big, priority to recruit in-state guys and Henry Buckles is the offensive lineman that they have got three fifth or a six two two eighty five out of Hood River Oregon um, I know Henry is super excited about signing day and, and being a beeve and I know he works out with former beeve center Alex Lennon Cole so um, he's been on the beeve radar for quite a while but uh, definitely some guys that'll be exciting and we'll have a lot more next week as we kind of talk I'm going to make Carter watch some game film of these guys and, and we're going to break them down for you. Um, but just fun. It's signing day. Carter, have you embraced signing day yet as like a Christmas yet, or are you too involved in football season? Yeah, no, it's awesome. I mean, I I've always wished that I had a little more time on my hands to follow recruiting a little more in depth. I definitely do um, stay up to date with all of the, the news, obviously just being around the site and everything, but um, no signing day is always exciting because you know the, the sky is always the limit for these new guys and so 
it, it's always pretty cool to see just the level of excitement they have to be to be beavers and um, you know wish the best for every single one of them. Yeah, it's it is. It's fun. I mean, you're, they're bringing in it's the whole new you know part of the family, and then you bring in you know I'm excited for Blitz because we bring in a lot of the family members, and and they'll come in and and they trust us um, to cover their son over the next four or five years. And what's fun for me that I've done this long enough, and you'll see this too now as you're you've been with us for several years is um, you get to know these guys, you know their families then it's fun to follow them beyond, whether it's the NFL or, or what, what they do in, in the future. So super fun time. So next week we will preview some more um, what's going to happen with signing day. We'll talk about hopefully a Stanford win. That's what I'm hoping for Carter. Um, and then kind of maybe, well, hopefully we'll know who, who the Beavs play then a week from Saturday. But should we do a couple damn questions? Yep, let's do it. Okay, I'm gonna pull them up here. Okay, section 126 Beavs asks, are there going to be any new commits on early signing day? So we did not talk about that, but I do not expect any different commits. Um, I don't believe, I mean, the Beavs have been in on um, Rollins and uh, Marcus Bowe, a couple O-linemen, uh, there's CJ Baskerville. I don't believe the Beavs will get any of those commitments because like I said, I think they're gonna be saving those couple spots um, for transfer portal guys, but good question. Um, people are asking about how many, okay. Harrison here for the Beavers wants to know, Carter, do you think, uh, Treshawn Harrison will be an impact player? Yeah. At some point I, I do see him being an impact player. I think, um, you know, he went to Florida state for a reason and, and that's a big time program. And he actually made some plays there early on in his career. I, if I remember correctly, I think he actually, um, played quite a bit as a true freshman so he's already he's already done it um, he has that height speed combo that nobody else on this Oregon State roster has so that's definitely a huge advantage for him as well um, he has been able to practice throughout the fall he just hasn't been eligible to play um, so that's you know it's not like there's going to be a huge ramp up period in terms of getting up to game game speed or anything like that so I'm, I'm optimistic that he's going to make an impact this year, but I think moving forward, even into the, the next couple of years, he's going to be one of the, definitely the top targets on the team. Okay, here's, a, here's one to make you think a little bit. Yakov says, would we have been better off to have some game reps earlier in the season for Nolan in case of injury to Jebbia? Now, should we look ahead and get some playing reps for Goldbranson in case of injury to Nolan? I mean, I, I think obviously yes it would have been beneficial to get Nolan some reps earlier on earlier on but at the end of the day like Tristan Jebbia was your guy you know and he was starting to come on as well and he had only played what three games I think until right Oregon was the fourth game yeah so so I mean that's not enough time to to pull him or anything and there, there were no real blowouts to get another guy in there so I think in a normal season you know that's it's not even a question. You just put your starting quarterback out there and you let him go and you let him develop. So um, obviously I think it would have been beneficial for Nolan to get some experience prior to just getting thrown to the wolves at Utah. But um, I just don't think it was, was really on the radar. Yeah. Um, Matt Chiafoni asked a couple questions. Is D-line help on the way? Nothing concrete, but um, I know they're working on it. And Matt, you always ask about JUCO. So I'm sure they're scouring every JUCO and every transfer portal guy they can find for D, D line to help. Um, 
what is the running back depth behind BJ and Jamar? So what are it's Calvin is three. And then would you say Tehran Madison? And yeah, then I think Isaiah pretty safe to say Tehran would be four considering um, I, I know he only got one carry on Saturday against Utah, but he was the next guy up. I'm really curious to see what Tehran Madison brings though. Um, I want to see I, Isaiah I, Newell. Or, or sorry, I yes, I meant I meant Isaiah Newell. I'm okay. curious to see what he brings. Yes. Um, because Tehran, obviously, he's still young, and I, I'm sure they want to get him reps because he's probably going to be part of the future here in this in this position group. But yeah, Isaiah Newell, I mean, that's a strong running back. He's a power guy with some breakaway speed as well, and I think he's as big a part of the future as as Madison is. And so I definitely would kind of want to see. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if BJ and Jamar are out this week, I think they should go to a committee and just get all three of those guys, a bunch of, I rides. totally want to see what Isaiah Newell can do. And then how does Ben compare to chance? I, ben isn't as mobile, but has a bigger arm. Is that, yeah. is that fair to say? Yeah. And um, I mean, I, I think in terms of like understanding the playbook and stuff, they're probably about on par because they got here at the same time. Um, so I think obviously with an inexperienced guy who doesn't necessarily have complete grasp of the playbook, you're probably going to see a lot of the same um, inconsistencies if Ben gets a chance. But yeah, huge arm, um, really accurate guy. We saw that a little bit in spring camp. So um, from a passing perspective, he might be the best raw, you know, passer on mm -hmm. this on this roster. Here's a good one. This is good. I'm going to make you think again. Burly Boy 12 says, what scheme switches would you like to see to help Chance Nolan thrive? Um, more designed checkdowns, maybe. Like, okay. I, I don't love checkdowns, but necessarily, necessarily, but um, you know, I think more like slant routes, maybe some screens and stuff just to get him rolling. A My bit. favorite, the bubble screen. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, that's like, that's a perfect play call because it gets a guy in open space who can make, who can make plays, but it also gives Chance a pretty easy target to throw to. Um, and, and more fly sweep, and more fly sweep action. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But they, they did, I felt like they started the game with a lot of throws downfield, which obviously that is, that plays to Chance's strength of, of having a, a big arm, but like, you got to get him rolling a little bit. You got to give him some confidence and put him in a position to make some plays to get the offense moving. Yeah, I think that's great. And I, I kind of, I like the ideas of some uh, zone reads for him, let him tuck and run if need be. Cause I, I do think he's a, a decent runner. He doesn't have to be all world runner, but I think he could, he has that mobility that I think you, you, if you have it, you take advantage of it because it just makes yeah. 11 on 11 then instead of 11 on 10. If, if you know your quarterback's going to sit back in the pocket, um, you don't need to account for him running. So I love the versatility that a mobile quarterback brings. And like I said, mobile quarterback is, it doesn't have to be Dennis Dixon. It can be someone that just is adequate and moving. Um, but I, I do, I think, and they don't need to change the whole Beaver offense. Just add yeah. in a couple little wrinkles. And like I said, I would love to see them go more fly sweep. Um, and it doesn't, like I said, not every play, but run that fly motion more often, even if you're not handing the ball off. Just because, like we saw with Coach Riley when he was coach, you start running that fly sweep and it makes teams have to respect it every time. And it'll get defenders going in the wrong direction too. I exactly. mean, you can use it to set up passing plays and 
get the linebackers looking on one side of the field and throw on the other side. Exactly. I, I, I think Oregon State need, needs to use a little more of that misdirection because we might not see the Beavs match up as easily one-on-one talent-wise, but misdirection, um, you know, use your speed to an advantage and get, you know, Oregon State has small, small stature wide receivers, but we keep hearing how fast they are. Get them the ball in space and let them go, go make the plays. That's, I liked your, you know, check downs and, and screen plays. Um, go Beavs says, who's left on the recruiting board that we have a shot with? I know it's a smaller class. Any surprises on the horizon? I wish I could say yes, but um, I have nothing. And I have really good sources. Um, what you see committed right now is what the Beavs are looking to sign right now. And I don't expect any, any new guys to pop up. Although, like I say that, they are looking, like I, we said earlier, transfer portal for D linemen, D tackles especially, um, and JCs. So um, they hear you. I mean, they, they, they know exactly what they need as well. And we've seen the glaring, you know, it, it just is hard when Charles Moore doesn't work out, Jeremy Reichner's uh, opted out, and Jordan Whitley has health issues. So you had, you know, six, nine months ago, you had three potential D tackles. We were saying which, that this is one of the, the most deep defensive tackle groups that they've had in a long time. Yeah. Come to find out none of the three are ready to go for viable. So, and, and Jordan Whitley, you know, you've talked to some coaches that, you know, if he really took it serious with his body and his training could be playing, he was a, he's a Sunday type guy. So um, depending on what happens with his health and, and what happens, but you know, that's a, that's, those are huge shoes to fill, right? When the, when the, like we were saying, the coaching staff is planning on three guys and then you have Charles Moore not work out, Jeremy Reichner then opt out, and then the hell, I mean, that it decimated it. And defensive tackle is the toughest position to recruit to, hands down. Um, Carter, game this Saturday. Are you, you're going to be in Corvallis for us, aren't you? Yeah, I'll, I'll be there you're freezing crazy. once again. <laughs> Carter has made like every game except for Salt Lake, except for Utah. Yeah. He drove up to Washington which, for which us. Which I'm okay with because yeah. that was 8, 8.30 kickoff mountain, 25 degrees, something like that. Yeah, I, I'm okay with missing that one. So so part of the COVID protocols for those of you guys listening is um, the press box is way limited on how many people they allow. So they've taken out like every two chairs or every other chair. They've put yeah. um, partitions up between everybody. So there's like, what, a third of the people that are normally there, maybe even half. Yeah. Probably I'd say, happened. yeah, I'd say about a third. Um, way less people. Then you have partitions and then they have to keep the windows open. So it's freezing in and the press. That's the kicker right there. And <laughs> the, so Carter, the open windows so is the thing super, that you notice more than anything else. It, it's been super fun because Carter's down in Corvallis. I stay up, I stay in Portland. So we kind of have different views. Carter's watching things. So we're texting or he's posting in the lodge in our, our watch party thread about maybe what's happening with a guy that's hurt, but it's gone to commercial for the rest of us. Um, I'm able to tell him things that they're saying on TV. It's, it's been this gr- fun thing, but I even told him this week, I'm like, are you sure you wanna go down? He's going down, <laughs> gonna freeze. I think I need to buy Carter a coat for Christmas. Like a down perk. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be bundled up. It's unfortunately, you know, I've, I've, I've really layered up for all of these games and it hasn't even been enough. And I took hand warmers, you know, I've got gloves, I've got oh. a big Sherpa jacket. Are you I'm taking still hot shivering toddies, by the end though? of the game. You need to start taking like hot chocolate hot toddies. You I, gotta I think spice that chocolate... press box up. 
hot chocolate might have to be on the menu this week. They're not providing it in the press box, but I'm, I might have to, to, uh, to sneak some in. Take a thermos. You're not, yeah. wait, you turned 21 this month. When's the big 29th. birthday? 29th. 29th. Okay. Yeah. Be a socially distant Beaver Blitz birthday party, a 21 or <laughs> for Carter. <laughs> socially distant, of course. Okay. Beaver fans. I'm Angie Machado. It's Carter Baines. We will be back next week for another episode of the Dan Podcast. In the meantime, make sure to check out the Lodge. We have lots of insight, lots of breakdown and analysis. And then, of course, the watch party, which is getting bigger and bigger by the week. I think we had like 7,000 views and like 700 responses during the game. It's super fun. We all just kind of talk. We The big topic of the game and the watch party this week was Chance Nolan squinting at the at the sideline every play so um everybody thought he needed glasses which which apparently is a non-issue according to i guess Smith. but he didn't really answer the question no it sounds like they ask him but maybe he doesn't even know he's blind it, it's a possibility <laughs> i went 15 years of my life carter without knowing that i had a lazy eye it's just funny that i just think saying. everybody kind of picked up on it at the same time because I mean, I, I mentioned before we started recording, I was about to post it and then you posted it and then everybody else posted it. <laughs> Pretty funny. I mean, it was like every time they showed him, he squinted, yeah. he's squinting. Like I said, I was 15 when I was um, diagnosed with a lazy eye that I didn't, I just thought I couldn't see out of one eye. I didn't think it was any big deal. I just didn't see. Maybe, you never know. I just learned to see out of one eye. So maybe, can you imagine? It's like, like I said, wild thing. You could give him the glasses and this week he comes out with big glasses on. We can play wild thing for him, and great story. Look like the uh, the Georgia kicker who's with oh I can't remember what what NFL team he's with now, but uh, Blankenship with the, the giant sports yeah. goggles. Yeah, just come contacts. I've learned about contacts with the greatest thing in the world, especially with masks now. Can't wear my glasses anymore. Fogs up. That's that's the worst part. I know. I have to wear my contacts now. I had to order contacts, and my husband said what. Why are you wearing contacts? I go, because my glasses fog up. Okay, Beaver fans, we will see you next week on another episode of the Damn Podcast.